So this evening is going to be kind of a, a, an introduction to the book of James. Uh, it will be maybe, it may sound a little bit more academic, um, a little bit more informational than necessarily one of our normal sermons, um, you know, because we really bring it home a lot of times with the application and, you know, fire and brimstone. So we're not going to have any of that tonight. It's going to be a little bit more informational, might, might sound a little bit more academic, but uh, I hope that you'll understand as we go through this, I, I really want to look at kind of three, uh, three questions, and they all start with W, and that's who, what, and why of James. Who, what, and why of James. So the first two that I want to look at, if you look at James chapter 1, um, we're going to just read the first verse. All right, James chapter 1, verse 1. I know you're probably getting nervous. If this is how fast we're going to go through James, we're going to be slower than we were through Genesis, right? I promise it won't be, it won't be like this every week. This is just the intro. So James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And you're probably going, how are you going to get a message out of that? Um, we'll see. All right, so James chapter 1, James to the 12, James the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. So the first who that I want to look at in the book of James is who's James, right? Who's James? Because, you know, we don't really have anything in this passage that tells us who he is, right? We know that he's a servant of God. We know that he's a follower of Jesus Christ, but that's all that we have. Who is, who is this James person that we have that's writing to uh, these people? We'll get to them here in a minute. But who is James? Well, James is a fairly common name in Israel at this time. There are quite a few Jameses. In fact, um, even in the disciples, there's more than one James. Did you know that? Are you, are you, are you singing maybe a, a song in your head going through the disciples to see if I'm right? No. James, who are they? James, what? James, the brother of John, right? Probably the most prominent one because, you know, he's kind of in that inner circle of Peter, James, and John, right? So who's the other one? Anybody know? I'll give you a hint. He's the son of somebody. James, the son of? Thaddeus. Not Thaddeus. Alphaeus. Yeah, it's one of those us's, right? James, the son of Alphaeus. All right? And you're like, who's Alphaeus? I don't know. <laughs> the Bible doesn't tell us. <laughs> so we've got James, the brother of John. And these are the sons of Zebedee, or, you know, with the sons of thunder, right? So James, the, the brother of John. Then we've got James, the son of Alphaeus. And then there's actually another James sort of tied to the disciples. We don't really know who he is, um, but that would be James, the father of Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas. There's two Judases in the disciples, too. There's lots of J's in the disciples. You ever notice that? All right. So we've got two Jameses that are part of the disciples. We've got a James that's the father of another disciple. And, uh, and there's another James. Anybody want to take a guess at who that is? James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And it's interesting. I think you can actually find all four of these Jameses 
in one short passage in the book of Acts. We're going to jump around a lot uh, tonight, so if you're taking notes, um, you might want to just kind of jot these things down. Of course, we are recording, so you can always get that later too. Um, So we're going to jump around in in multiple places, mostly in the book of Acts, uh, but several places tonight. So I'll try to, I'll try to, I've got them all written down, so we'll just move quickly through them. All right, so the book of Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, we have uh, this time right after Christ has uh, ascended into heaven. He's gone, and uh, the disciples think, you know, you know, Judas is dead, and we need to, we need to, you know, find another <coughs> apostle to, you know, round out the 12, right? We need, we need to fill this gap. Uh, but it's interesting here in verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, excuse me, where they were staying. Peter and John and James, there's the first one, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Again, we don't really know who that James is. The Bible doesn't really tell us. Um, And then it says, all these with one accord, excuse me, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So I think actually probably all four of the Jameses that we're really aware of in the New Testament are probably here in this passage together. So these are the Jameses that we know of. Now the question is, which James is it that wrote the book of James? All right, let's start with the ones that we don't think it is. Uh, First of all, we have James, the unknown father. Um, Probably probably not him. We don't even know who he is. Doesn't sound like he's a prominent person other than being uh, the father of one of the disciples. The second one is James, the son of Alphaeus. Um, Anybody know anything about James, the son of Alphaeus? Not much other than he was a disciple and an apostle, right? Uh, there's, there's just nothing really else that the Bible gives us about James, the son of Alphaeus. So two down. All right. Then we have James. Somehow I wrote the brother of Jonah. James, the brother of John. All right. James, the brother of John. Now, what do we know about James, the brother of John? Was he a, was he a prominent person in the New Testament? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was a prominent person in the disciples. Right? He's one of the, the top three. Right? He's one of the inner circle. He's one of the ones that, are, that Jesus confided in the most, that he had around him the closest the most. Right? So James is, is a fairly prominent person. Now, why not James? You're probably thinking it's not James, right? Wait, it is James. It's not James, the brother of John. All right? So why not James, the brother of John? Um, well, more than likely... The time frame of when James was written, which we don't know exactly, is probably after his death. Does anybody know when James died or how James died? James, the brother of John. Nope, that was Peter. Yep. Anybody remember? Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, says, About that time Herod... The king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. All right, so here we have James, the brother of John, 
prominent figures in the early church, uh, apostles, part of the disciples. So this is, this is a prominent, John, prominent James. He, he's somebody that we could potentially see as the author of the book of James, but more than likely not because he died in approximately um, A.D. 42. We believe that the book of James was probably written in the late 40s or early 50s uh, A.D. So this book is probably written after James, the brother of John, was dead. So we're going to put him out of the running. So that leaves one more. That's, that's just obvious, right? He's got to be him, right? Well, let's take a look and just see. James, um, the brother of Jesus Christ. All right? James, the brother of Jesus Christ. Okay, so was James, the brother of Jesus Christ, a prominent person in the church? Anybody want to tell me anything that you know about James, the brother of Jesus? What? Nothing? <laughs> Anybody? Yes, Acts chapter 15. We'll get there here in just a second. Let's take a look at what Scripture tells us about James, um, also known as James the Just. Um, he is, in, as far as church history is concerned, but James the brother of, or the half-brother of Jesus. Acts chapter 12, verses 16 through 17. This is, uh, obviously, Peter has been uh, captured. This is right after James... The greater has been, as church history calls him, James the greater has been uh, killed by Herod. Peter was in prison. And then we have uh, Peter getting out of prison in that whole discourse, of course, uh, where he's knocking on the door and, and the girl comes and sees it as Peter and says, hey, it's Peter. And they're like, no, that's impossible. He's in jail, right? And she, you know, that whole, that whole situation comes about. So chapter 12 of Acts verses 16 through 17 says, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. James, the brother of John, is already dead at this point. So what James is he talking about? There's, there's no mention of, there's no description of him. This was a James that the people knew who he was talking about. It was a prominent James in the New Testament church there at Jerusalem. Let's jump down to Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 21. And this is where Bob was referencing. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, James, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his own for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, 
but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. From the ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is ready. He is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. All right. Long phrase here, but what's what's James doing? He's giving his opinion, right? We have we have this council of elders and, and apostles about this matter of whether the Gentiles need to follow the Jewish law. And here we have a prominent man by the name of James who stands up again. No, no clarification given, just James. He stands up and he gives his opinion and he sides with Paul and Barnabas on this on this uh, situation. And if you read the rest of that chapter, you'll see that they agreed with him. And they agreed that the Gentiles do not need to follow the Mosaic law. And they actually sent a letter out, etc. So there's James. Jump to Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 19. Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 19. When, he, when we had come to Jerusalem, this is Paul and his entourage, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. All right, And all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So James is a very prominent name, very prominent person in the church. Where? At Jerusalem, right? So we're starting to kind of piece things together. So we've got a prominent James in the church of Jerusalem. The second thing I want to look at is the fact that James... Um, gives no clarification to his name, assuming its prominence, but it, but it assumes prominence in the church. First uh, Corinthians fifteen three through eight says, "For I delivered to you, as of as of first importance, what I also received: that Christ died for our sins, accordance with the Scriptures; that He was buried; that He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures; and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Now, this is an interesting series of events. All right? This is an interesting series of events. Did you, did you follow along with the order in which Christ revealed himself to these people? All right? He revealed... Himself first to whom? To Cephas or Peter. And then to whom? The twelve. So the disciples. So the James that's referenced down here later on is not part of the disciples. All right? And then it says that he uh, revealed himself to 500, more than 500 brothers at a time. And then it says that he appeared to James. Again, James. Without any other identification, just James. This is obviously somebody that people knew who they were talking about. James was a very prominent person in the church. And then, of course, he talks about himself. Last of all, to me, uh, who was born, as he says, untimely. Galatians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, uh, adds some more to it. He says, and from those who seem to be influential... What they, were, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. 
On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All right? Again, we don't know who this person is, but this is a prominent figure in the church in Jerusalem by the name of James. There's an interesting other reference that I actually didn't see in any, in any of the commentaries, but flip over to the book of Jude and read the first verse in the book of Jude. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Here's that name again. This prominent figure that we have no clue who it is. Here it is. All right, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. Now, as we read the book of James, you'll notice there's some, uh, there's some wording and some things that James talks about that are very Jewish in nature. All right, it's very Jewish in nature. In fact, James is uh, sometimes considered a wisdom book. Um, what's another wisdom book that we have in Scripture? Proverbs, right? It's a very common wisdom book, right? Uh, what's unique about Proverbs? Anything? Is there a lot of context in Proverbs? More than one offer. Yeah, potentially more than one offer, right? What about, what about the content? It kind of bounces around. Yeah, it kind of bounces around, right? And if you read the book of James, you can kind of get the feeling that James is kind of bouncing around from one subject to another. Now, he gives more context than Proverbs does, but he, he moves around from, from one context to another. If you read Paul's writing, right, when you, when you go through a, a, a letter of Paul, there's this very, uh, very nice flow of information, and it, it goes from one thought to another to another, and it's, it's just it's a, a masterpiece, right, when you read uh, a, a book that Paul has written. And James... It is no less of a masterpiece because God wrote it, right? But, but it kind of jumps around from one topic to another. And, and sometimes it can be kind of hard to, you know, put it all into one idea or one concept for the book. Um, and so that's, this is kind of a, a wisdom. This is, this is a, a similar writing style that you would find in some of the Hebrew texts. So uh, there's also information in the book of James, things like uh, the assumption that the readers have a familiarity with the law? Do the Gentiles have a familiarity with the law? No, they have their own pagan religions, right? So there's an assumption of familiarity with the law. There's use of terms that are Jewish terms, such as the synagogue, talking about um, how you are to present yourself in the synagogue. And so these are, these are Jewish terms that the, that the author is assuming that the readers will understand and, and will um, will be able to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it. They're going to understand it. They're going to they're recognize it. They're going to um, be able to apply that more readily because that's something that, that is familiar to them. All right, so we have, some, we have some content in here that's very Jewish in nature. 
So we have a prominent member of the church in Jerusalem. We have content that is very Jewish in nature and Jewish pointedly and specifically to whom? To the 12 tribes, right? The 12 tribes. That's pretty Jewish, right? Right? So everything about the book of James is pointing to a connection with Jewish, Jews, Judaism, Jerusalem, um, as we look at who is James. Lastly, um, we see that uh, James is noted as the brother of Christ. Let me see if I can... Hmm, I'm missing that passage. I don't have it. If anybody can find it, look it up. Let me know what it is. But uh, when Paul goes to see G, uh, James, he references James as being the brother of Christ. And the James that he's going to meet at the time is the James in Jerusalem. So that's where we connect James, the brother of Christ, to James, the prominent leader in Jerusalem. All right? I apologize for that. I don't know what happened to it. It flew away. Um, But if you can find it, let us know. We'll write it down. All right? James, the brother of Christ. Okay. So that's the who is James. So who are the 12 tribes? Who are the 12 tribes? Anybody have an idea? Who? Twelve tribes of Israel. All right? That makes the most sense, right? Um, If you read some commentaries, there's some other ideas. Because at this time, the twelve tribes don't really exist as a country, per se. Um, What's happened? The Romans have come in. they've, They've taken over control of Palestine, right? So we don't really have Israel as much as a country as they were, obviously, back many years ago before all of this stuff that, that is taking place had, took place. So the 12 tribes, but what does he say? To the 12 tribes, where? In the dispersion. So we have the who, which is most likely James, the brother of Christ. Now, again, James doesn't tell us that James is James, the brother of Christ. We're supposing this, all right? So we could be wrong, all right? Let me ask you this. Do we have to know which James it is? Is it important? I think it's important that we learn to search the scriptures and see if we can find out what's going on. But at the end of the day, is it important that we know which James wrote the book of James? Do we have any other books in the, in the Bible that we don't know who wrote them? Hebrews, Hebrews right? One of, one, of the, one of the greatest books, in my opinion, in the, in the New Testament, uh, especially when it comes to Christ and his completion of the law. We don't even know who wrote it. All right, so, but we assume that James and the early church fathers assumed, based on uh, whatever evidence they had, that the James, the uh, 
James the Just or James the brother of Christ is the one who wrote the book of James. So we're going to go on that supposition. So he's writing to Jewish people. Now, these are not just any Jewish people, right? These are Jewish believers, right? Because he's not writing to just anybody. He's writing to them about biblical things, about Christian things, about things that a Christ follower should understand, should learn, should emulate, right? He, in fact, he even gives us that understanding by his introduction, does he not? He says, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? So we know that he's not just writing to all the Jews, right? He's writing to Jewish believers. And then he says this word, in the dispersion. So that brings me to the what? What is the dispersion? What is the dispersion? Anybody have an idea? What does disperse mean? To scatter, right? To spread out, okay? So what is, what is the dispersion? Yeah, where people who have been spread out, right? Now, there are a couple of different dispersions um, that are brought up when, when we look at this verse as far as uh, from, a, <clears throat> from a theological standpoint, from, a, from um, authors who take a look at this. The first one is uh, the dispersion of the nation of Israel itself. Now, again, we said that the nation of Israel is not, it's not fully formed anymore, right? We've got, uh, we've got a lot of Jews who are in Palestine still, but there are a lot of Jews who are not in Palestine. Um, what happened a while before this? Anybody remember? Back in the Old Testament? The Assyrians and the Babylonians. Exactly, right? So, and that's where we, we have the book of Daniel, right? And Daniel's one of those ones, Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They, they were all taken from uh, Jerusalem and they were taken to a far off country. There were, there were many Jews who were taken to other parts of the world. Now, of course, we have uh, the one who came back and built. Who was that? Built the walls? Nehemiah, right? So he came back and he built the walls and some people returned, but not everybody. Not everybody. And so that's kind of the first dispersion that we have. And, and we kind of see reference to that here in Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jew Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. All right? Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. The sound is, is uh, the disciples who have just received the Holy Spirit going out into the street and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and they're hearing it in their, in their own languages. It says, and, and they, they, they heard the sound and they came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and, Elam and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. As you know, Passover 
is when Christ was killed. And so there were many people who were coming who were either of Jewish descendant or who were proselytes. Is that right? Proselytes or proselytes? I'm adding adding syllables. Who, Who had converts to Judaism, right? Who had come in to celebrate Passover. Right? And so we, we have all these different people who are here, and they are, especially Jews, really from other parts of the world. They are dispersed, and more than likely descendants of the ones who were actually dispersed um, at this point in history. So that's kind of the first dispersion. So many people think that James might be writing to uh, Gentile believers because here we have them gathered. And they're going to hear this message, right? They're going to hear the gospel. And if you read further in Acts chapter 2, you're going to see that thousands believe. They believe in Jesus Christ. And what do they do? They take what they believe and they take it back with them. They go back to wherever their new home is, (laughs) to wherever their current home is, wherever they came from for the Jewish Passover. They go back and they take with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many think that the dispersion that James is talking about may have to do with the fact of those Jews who left um, Palestine at that time and went back home with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's another option. I'm not saying that's wrong or right. All right? That's a possibility. There's another option. Acts chapter 2, verses, I mean, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 22. says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to not one except whom? Jews. All right? Speaking the word to not one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And, on the, and, at, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. All right, what's going on here? Stephen has been preaching, and the, the religious leaders in, the, in, in Judaism do not like what he is preaching. And they condemn him and they stone him. And somebody else is there. Remember who else is there? At the stoning of Stephen? Stephen, Saul, right? Who would become Paul. Yeah, so Stephen has just been stoned. And what has that done? That's scared a lot of people. Because now blood has been drawn. Right? It's not just being put in jail. It's not just maybe being beaten. Someone has been murdered, martyred for the cause of Christ. And people, specifically Jews, are leaving Jerusalem because of the persecution. And they're going to all these different places in the, in the surrounding area. And I think, I think it's interesting that the Jews tended to only tell the gospel to the Jews. Right? I think that's why we, he gives that here. So we understand most of these people who were being spread out were Jews. So we have the dispersion from, from way back in Babylon, when Babylon came, and we have the dispersion of persecution here really during the time of James 
the just. All right? So, my personal opinion, I think the dispersion he's talking about is the one during his time, which is due to persecution. And I think when you read the book of James, that understanding makes a lot more sense. Because he is talking to believers who are of Jewish descent, who have been pushed out due to circumstances that were not their choosing, due to persecution, unjust treatment. They've been pushed out of their homes, everything they know, everything they love, and they've been pushed out into these other places. Yet, interestingly enough, what are they still doing? In spite of the persecution, they're still sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? They're still preaching who Jesus is in spite of the fact that they are being sent from their homes because of persecution. But this dispersion most likely is, that James is referring to, is most likely this persecution that they're under. And I think as we read, as we go through the book of James in the next few months, we're going to see how this mindset has affected these believers. We're going to see how the mindset has to be corrected by what James is going to be teaching them about what true faith is is because here they are in a place that is not their home they are being taken advantage of many times by uh, those who are living there they're being persecuted for their religious beliefs and James is writing to them understanding their background understanding their Jewish knowledge, understanding, having maybe perhaps have even interacted with many of these people. We don't know. I mean, it's very possible that many of the ones he's writing to are people that he had a personal relationship as members of the Church of Jerusalem. He was a prominent figure in the Church of Jerusalem. And so he's writing to those who are dispersed due to persecution. That brings us to the why. Why is James writing? He's writing to fix error. He's writing to help them understand that faith has an outcome. Faith produces something. And as you see these people going forth, at the time that James is writing, Paul is really just beginning his ministry. And Paul is really starting to teach this concept of grace, right? This concept of of faith in the grace of God without works. And so a lot of the problems with James in the early churches, there seems to kind of be a little bit of, of butting heads here between what Paul teaches and preaches about grace and faith and what James seems to be saying a lot of times about the result of faith. But I think as, you, as we go through this book, I think you'll understand that James is not advocating for a works-based religion. He's advocating for a faith that works. He's advocating for a faith that has tangible results. That has tangible effects. That's what he's going to be advocating for. He's going to be advocating for a faith that 
surrenders to and seeks the wisdom of God in times of trial. He's going to be advocating for a faith that does not put other people who, who are actually persecuting them as, as somehow better than others who are poor. Others who are often in the same situation that they're in. Who, are, who, do, who do not um, give a higher placement. Who do not act differently around those with money. Around those with prestige than they do around those who are just like them. He's going to advocate for a faith that produces good works. He's going to advocate for a faith that produces control of one's body, specifically one's tongue. Control over the way that we speak to one another, to others in the world. A faith that has action, that has power, that has um, results. A faith that produces wisdom from above, not wisdom of men. He's advocating for a faith that seeks to please God and live in a way that honors Him, not in a way that pursues the desires of the world. A faith that is patient and suffering. A faith that is long-suffering. A faith that drives us back to God. There is a faith, yes, that Paul is preaching and, and proclaiming that is saving, that is powerful, but it's not a faith that just is a one time and done. It's a faith that produces results in your life, actions in your life. And that is what James is writing to these people. That's why James is writing to these people. But the other why that I want to ask tonight very quickly is why are we studying Why are we studying the book of James? Well, we were sitting in our elders meeting and we thought, you know, we really need a break between Genesis and the next really big book that we're going to do. And James seemed like a good option. That's not a good reason to study, to study a book, right? So why are we studying the book of James? What is so, what is so important about the book of James and, and who it was written to and, and why it was written that we should take notice of it here and now, January of 2021. I believe that we are beginning to experience as believers in the United States just a very small amount of what they experienced here. We're not being driven from our homes. We're not being, you know, necessarily beaten. We're not, we're not being, you know, blasted in, in court, we're not being made fun of necessarily, most of us probably. We're not necessarily being treated, but we may get there. We may get there. And the reality is, if we are being the people God has called us to be, we should expect that. That's why we read John chapter 15. Because here we're in James, James is talking to, he's speaking to these people who have been sent out. They've been scattered from their homes and everything that they've known. And they're just trying to survive. They're trying to survive. They're trying to, to do what they, they know God's called them to do. 
But it's so easy to give in to all these other fleshly desires. All these other fleshly uh, ways and things that maybe they did before. It's so easy to give in to those things. And James is writing to them and says, real faith produces a different result. Real faith produces a different result. And as we look at John chapter 15, we, he, we have here a statement by Christ to his disciples, but it rings true for us today, even in 2021. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. See, the moment that we became followers of Jesus Christ, we became enemies of the world. We became people who are no longer citizens of the world, but rather we are citizens of heaven. We are no longer citizens of an earthly kingdom, even though we may be citizens of an earthly kingdom. We are not citizens of an earthly kingdom. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom, of a glorious kingdom, of a coming kingdom. We are the children of God. But as such, we become the enemy of the world. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Why do we, why is it that we, we seem in America to fear and run from persecution? As if it's something that we shouldn't have to deal with. Or why is it that we stand up and lift our fists and fight back as if there's something on earth that we need to defend? God has called us out of the world. Even though we are in the world, we're strangers and pilgrims. We're aliens. We're dispersed. We are not part of the world. The moment we begin to follow Jesus Christ is the moment we become an enemy of the world. And so as we begin to see, maybe in a little bit more tangible ways in, in, in these, this new year, as we see things change politically, as we see uh, things continuing to turn from a societal standpoint, um, we need a reminder. We need a reminder that our faith produces specific results. It's not a faith that allows us to just sit on the sidelines and, and just be glad that we're saved. Amen. I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. That's not the faith that James is advocating for. It's a faith that is active. It's not a faith that's active on social media. It's not a faith that's writing. It's not a faith that is lifting its fists. It's a faith that is trusting in God, that is submitting to Him. It's a faith that is serving others 
It's a faith that understands there's more going on than everything that we see. It's a faith that is focused on the eternal. That's what James is advocating for. And as we come to this new year and we see the landscape of everything going on, no, probably most of us are not going to be pushed out of our homes. Probably most of us are not going to be um, dealing with massive persecution, people stomping on our doorsteps and telling us to, you know, renounce Christ or die. Probably not going to happen. May. Probably not. At least not real soon. But how quick are we to get all up in arms over the smallest thing? And James is calling us to have a faith that makes a difference. Have a faith that makes a difference. And we're going to look at that as we go through the book of James. Christ has called us to be different. He's called us out of the world. Not to be like the world. To be different. To show the world the love of Jesus Christ. And I hope that as we go through the book of James, you will resonate with that. And you will allow the truth of James to change the way that you think, to change the way that you react, to change the the way that you respond to trials, to temptation, to trouble, to persecution. As we look at the book of James and as we look at what real faith produces. Father, we thank you that you have not left us in this world by ourselves. You have not left us alone. You've given us many blessings. You've given us, first of all, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who gives us the power and the grace to live in a way that glorifies you every single day. And Lord, so often we fail to submit to what you have called us to do, to, to who you have called us to be. I pray that as we go through this, uh, this book of James, that you would remind us of who we are in you, that you would remind us of what real faith looks like, and that we would not, as James even says, be like the one who looks at the mirror and walks away unchanged, but that we would be ones who see the things that need to change, That's the ones who see the areas where our faith is not producing, where our faith maybe is, is, is lax or is in the wrong things, and that we would become like Christ, that we would turn our eyes back to you and that our faith would be true, that our faith would be real, that our faith would have an impact in our lives, in our families' lives, in our church, in this community. Lord, we know that you want to do a mighty work and we pray that you would allow us to be a part of it. Help us not to stand in the way. Help us not to to get in the way of what you are doing, but help us to be active participants in it. Help us to have the faith that produces results, the faith that makes a difference. Because in reality, Lord, you're the only one that can. It's not something that we can muster. It's not something that we can stir up in ourselves. It is something that you must give us as we submit to you. Help us to submit, and we'll give you the glory for it. 